Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. The church is more than a fellowship. It's a new society. Having a relationship with Jesus, knowing the love of God, and being empowered by the Spirit are essential for any sort of new society that is built after a former divisive society has been torn down. People in the church are going to need to give grace and show love to one another just as much as they need to receive it. This is a key part of unity. Today we continue our trajectory worship series with a message from guest speaker, Reverend Eric Van Meter. He shares a sermon highlighting the new society created from the ground up by the early followers of Christ and challenges us to unite with those around us in the love of Christ. Here is the First Church Message of the Week. Let's try this. What is church? Simple question. Maybe not the most simple answer. What is church? Church is people. Okay, we went right, we went straight to Thor right there for you Marvel Marvel fans. <laughs> As God is not a place. Church is not a place. Church is a people. <laughs> Which actually works a lot better if you have you know, CGI and special effects and huge pectoral muscles, none of which I have. (laughs) So we're going to leave that to Chris Hemsworth. Church is a people. It's a group that gathers, okay? I will buy that. What else is church? Church is love, okay. Or at least that's kind of the aspiration, right? Anybody ever been in an ad council meeting that got a little bit out of hand? We try. Okay, what else? What is church? Is this a church? Yeah, I mean, the, the building that we've got, that's what we would consider a church. Uh, we, we've got a roof over our heads. We've got spaces to gather and meet and sing and pray and eat and uh, eat and drink coffee and eat. So you tell where my priorities lie, you know, this late in the morning. What else? What's a church? Body of Christ. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Because the the body of Christ, we use that in the communion liturgy. We say, this is the body of Christ that's broken for you. But we pray before that, may this be for us the body of Christ as we are the body of Christ for the world, or some language like that, right? So the idea that Jesus is embodied in us, that we are the body of Christ, that y'all are the body of Christ. And, and, and Paul even says that, that y'all are the body of Christ. This is where the Bible should speak Southern, right? Because good, proper English doesn't have a second-person plural pronoun like Greek does. So if you say you are the body of Christ, then it's hard to tell, does that mean you, Lucas, you, Eric, you know, or is that you all are the body of Christ? If I was born in Arkansas, spent uh, all my childhood in Arkansas, if the Bible would just use y'all where it's plural, everybody would be a whole lot clearer on what's going on. (laughs) So the church is the body of Christ. The church is a place of love. The church is a building. The church is uh, a people. Anybody else got a, a, a burning definition they're just waiting to share? 
It's a sanctuary that I'm going to get it over here for I can see. It's a sanctuary. So sanctuary is a safe place, right? It's a place where people can come to, uh, to get away from the threats that are outside. It's also a place of worship, right? Place of, of prayer. My appointment right now is planting an online church. And I don't know if it can be done, but we're going to try to do it. But I'm, I'm busy planting an online church in my day job, and it's called The Sanctuary, partly because the, there are very few safe spaces online, right? Uh, the, online, it's, it's like, well, I can share something, but then I'm waiting for the trolls and their political opinions to come after me. Well, we're trying to create a safe space because if, you, if you're not safe, it's hard to learn and it's hard to grow. We know this about kids, but it's true for adults too. So it's a sanctuary. Okay, good. I like that. And we've got an actual physical sanctuary here, which is helpful. So church is all these things. But has church always been all these things? Yes. No. Yes. Maybe. Can we eat now? You know, there's a lot going on in my head. But we're going to take a look at, the, at a scripture this morning that was written to an early church in uh, Ephesus by Paul, one of the early church leaders. And we're going to think about as we read, what is Paul talking about when he talks about church? And what are they really trying to accomplish here? Okay. So let's look at the scripture. Do we have it on the screen? Oh, thank God, because it's really small on my phone. Middle age is killing me, y'all. It's just killing me. The, the reason, this is the reason that I, Paul, am a prisoner for Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. For surely you have already heard of the commission of God's grace that was given me for you and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I wrote about in a few words, a reading of which will enable you to perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ. In former generations, this mystery was not made known to humankind, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That is, the Gentiles have become fellow heirs, members of the same body, and sharers in the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I have become a servant according to the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. Although I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to bring to the Gentiles the news of the boundless riches of Christ and to make everyone see what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. So that through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose that he has carried out in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have access to God in boldness and confidence through faith in him. I pray, therefore, that you may not lose heart over my sufferings for you. They are your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love, 
I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I left you with a question like two and a half minutes ago, so it's been a while. What we think of as a church, how did that overlap or how is that different than maybe what Paul and the Ephesians thought of as a church? Anybody want to take a stab at this? There's several different levels here. Anybody got an idea? Where do you suppose the Ephesians met? Big Rock Church? First church, second church, third church? They couldn't get along any better than we could. Actually, no. They met in people's houses. So you, you might have a home that had a, an ichthus, a fish, that was carved into the, the doorframe. Uh, or into the, the rock by the entrance. And that was just graffiti to the Roman authorities, but it, it was one of the early IYKYK, uh, if you know, you know, type things. It was sort of a code. This is where Christians live. And you can find a church that meets in here. So they, they might sing, and they would, would pray together. They would uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper, communion, sort of the way we do, sort of not. I mean, they would probably share a meal together. Because think about what Jesus says in those words of institutions. He doesn't say, do this as often as you go to church in remembrance of me. He says, no, as often as you eat, as often as you drink, remember my uh, body and blood given for you. It's a very ordinary thing. Okay? So they, they would eat together. They would literally break bread, remember that uh, Jesus had come and would come again. So they, they would do that, but it would be a much smaller group. How else? Anybody got another idea? How, how is it the same as maybe the church we have today? Nobody wants to touch this one. I've got several other Marvel references in my head. But we'll put those aside. When Paul's writing to a church, he's not writing to a physical place. He's writing to people. He's writing to friends. Okay? And in Ephesus, he had some friends. He had spent some time in Ephesus. Now, it wasn't a seven-year appointment or whatever is considered a good long appointment in the Methodist church these days. But he, he had spent, uh, I think it was a couple of years total in Ephesus. I'd have to look it up for sure. He knew people by name. He'd lived among them. And even though it hadn't been a long time, it had been an intense experience because there's a lot going on. Now, you don't have to share your stories out loud. 
Some of you have been part of church or some manifestation of church in which the best description is, this is a circus in which all the animals are out of their cages. It turns into chaos. And you got a lot you got to deal with all at once. Well, Paul is, is living in that time. Because as he and the Ephesians and the other people across the region, as they're trying to figure out what is a church, they're not, they're not rebuilding or restructuring or, or reforming what already exists. They're starting from scratch. They're building the plane as they're flying it. And they're trying to do that in a way that is bringing two very different cultures together. Because remember, this started as a Jewish sect. Christianity started as a Jewish sect. Jesus was Jewish. All the, the disciples, apostles were Jewish. The, the friends Jesus had, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, Nicodemus, they're all Jewish. The early Christians, the first generation, they're all Jewish. Paul was a Pharisee for crying out loud. That's like a super Jew of the day. But then now, as Paul's vision has shifted, as his understanding of what it means to follow Jesus has, has shifted, now the Gentiles are coming in. And that's basically anybody that's not a Jew, and they are way different, way different cultures here. And they, they lived together, they worked in the marketplace together, but they had a lot of suspicion of one another. They, they didn't overlap just a whole lot. I mean, imagine suddenly if, if we tried to start a church and we were mixing this congregation with one of the colonies around here. Now that's going to take some work, right? Well, it was taking some work for these first generations of Christians to, to try to do it. And it didn't always go well. You, you look at Corinth, Corinth was a hot mess. I, everything was going wrong at, at Corinth. I mean, if, if there is anything that summarized Paul's attitude toward the Corinthians, it was probably, oh. and that's it. Because they were a struggle. I was at a wedding yesterday with some friends, and they read that 13th chapter of Corinthians, Paul talking about love. And I, I always laugh whenever that gets read out of context because it's a beautiful passage. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, doesn't boast, doesn't seek its own. I mean, it's a, it's a great passage, but it's really set in the context of Paul grabbing people by the lapels and saying, what is wrong with you? Why are you so stupid? And he's giving them these basics because they don't really get what love looks like. And he's having to tell them, you get to places like Thessalonica and a few others. They're under tremendous pressure from outside forces. Sometimes that's from religious zealots. Sometimes that's from political authorities or merchants. Hey, you know, this Jesus thing is cutting into our silver business. We're making these statues uh, uh, that we sell for good pagan Greeks, and now you're not buying them anymore. Okay, that's hitting us in our pocketbooks. We got to do something about this. So there are places that are getting a lot of pressure from the outside. And then there's Ephesus, which seems to be pretty healthy, in pretty good shape overall. 
But there's still that underlying tension of trying to meld the Jews and the Gentiles together. And Paul is saying, look, the point is Jesus. Okay, the, the point is not this group getting their way and that group getting their way. We've got to give and take on little things. There's no way that, that we can't. We've got to be patient. We, we've got to be able to give up certain things we want. You want to put the raisins in the cookies? Okay, it's fine. Put the raisins in the cookies. Oh, I hate raisins so much. But you know what? Jesus is bigger than raisins. So that's fine. We, we, we figure that sort of thing out. That's what the Ephesians are trying to do. But ultimately, they're not trying to build an organization. They're not trying to, to build an institution. They're not trying to perpetuate what had gone before because whatever had gone before, they knew it couldn't be the same. There's just too much happening for it to ever go back. So they're trying to figure out how do we live in a completely different way than the world around us? How do we model something that's radically different, not just in our, our social structure, although it does appear there, but in the way we live everywhere? You know, what would it look like among the early Christians to, to have women in leadership roles like they probably were not in any other place? And that after a few generations, the Christian church started putting their thumb down on that too. That's a really interesting topic. We don't have time for that right now. What would it look like for Jews and Gentiles to serve alongside each other? For culture not to matter as much. For origin, language, race not to matter as much as it does in other places in this, this society. What would it look like if we approached each other not first as a threat or first as an opportunity, but first as a fellow human being made in the image of Christ? What if our relationships were bound together not by simple necessity, but by love, by mutual care one for another, supporting each other through our struggles and trials, and keeping that circle wide and open so that others can step into it also? This is what they're trying to create, not just a church like we would think of a church or even like they would, might think of a church, but a completely new way of living and everybody trying to figure out how to do it together. So I spent most of my career in uh, college ministry so far uh, do, doing something new now, but I spent most of my career in college ministry. And I remember at a uh, uh, training event I was at one time, we, we had a researcher. I love researchers. I'm not one of them, but I love them because they are such nerds. They like stats. They like numbers. They like surveys. They like data. And I'm like, I like knowing data. I don't like just, you know, doing the work to get it. So I'm glad there are people that do the work to get it. But this is one of the things he said. He said, the data will show us that young adults and really people in general will report to you the way they wish they behaved. They'll tell you, oh, I behave like this. But if you, 
if you start digging a little bit, you'll find out that's mostly the way they wished they behaved. What they actually do is what's normal. The way we actually live is not so much how we wish we did, but how other people around us do and how we fit into that. That's why it is so hard and takes so much energy to swim upstream or to have a minority opinion or to dissent to something. That, that takes a lot of emotional bandwidth and mental bandwidth for us, us when we do it. Well, what if part of the, the church is to normalize this radically inclusive, loving behavior that's obedient to Jesus? What, what if part of what this church thing is is to make normal living a cruciform life. One that, that says, I'm going to lay it all down. Like Paul did, like Jesus did, like so many people have done over the years, and so many people in this church probably do on a daily basis. I'm going to lay it down. And I'm not going to hold on to things so that I can receive what God is, is giving us. Wouldn't that be interesting? Wouldn't that be fun if we figured out a way to do that together? Well, that's what we're trying. Now, I, I made fun of, of Bryce's sermon title uh, uh, right at the start, but actually I wasn't making fun of the title. I was making fun of him. He should take that personally. <laughs> but, but that's what ultimately we want to be, right? Not people that dominate the world and impose our will on all those poor, unsuspecting people that we are now making Christian at the, the barrel of a gun or the point of a sword. But we want to be people that actually make a new society among us that is so full of light and of hope and of love that people want to be a part of it. And it's hard, and we're making it up as we go. But by God's grace, we keep at it and we don't give up because we trust that at the end, there's a blessing that awaits, not just for us, but for the world around us. And this reminder, I leave with you in the name of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information like our church calendar, worship times, and upcoming events, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.